Hello and welcome to How We Work. I'm your host, Dr. Misha Ann Martin, and today we are talking about the one meeting that cannot be an email, one-on-ones. To do that, I am joined by organizational psychologist and author of the new book, Glad We Met. Please welcome Dr. Stephen Roperberg. happy to have you on our podcast. So I was saying to you, you know, a few minutes before that I heard you speak about this topic the first time years ago at the Mayflower Survey Consortium, and it stuck with me. And so here I am years later, and I recommended for you to come on our podcast. And I'm so delighted that you have. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And the good news is I have so much new content. Content around one-on-one meetings, I think is a great opportunity for your listeners. I'm really excited to talk about it. I am also excited to jump into it. But before we do that, we're work human. And so we like to start out with who you are as a human. So tell us about who you are, Steve the Human. All right. Well, Steve the Human is a dad, husband, and son. Um, Obviously, I recognize the criticality of meaningful relationships. And so that is obviously the most important parts of my identity. But I'm also this crazy organizational psychologist that studies meetings. And I have been doing that for 20 years. And I'm really passionate around leveraging science to address pain in organizations and anything connected to meetings is sadly (laughs) quite painful. And I'm also really into taking science and shining it upon missed opportunities in organizations. And that's where one-on-one meetings come in. They're incredible opportunities that we just haven't fully realized. So let's jump right into it. In your opinion and in your research, what makes for an effective one-on-one? So one-on-one meeting is a meeting that's orchestrated by the manager, but it's not for them. It's for the direct. And it's a meeting where you can truly see the direct, that you care about what's on their minds and their challenges and their problems. And you recognize that by elevating them and supporting them, that you're helping them thrive. But by doing so, you're thriving. And because ultimately your success is a function of the success of those that you lead. Well, that brings me to my next question, right? Because this is a connection point between the manager and the direct report, but you still have to check in on the tasks and meet the goals and make sure people are working on things that are priorities. So how do you go about balancing checking in on the things and the tasks with checking in on the person who's doing the things and the tasks? I love that. That's a great question. Um, So first of all, there's, when it comes to monitoring work, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways of doing that, right? We, there are very successful managers who rely on asynchronous approaches, right? Where you can have a shared Google doc or something like that, where certain task activities could be updated, questions could be posed, and we could 
monitor work that way too. Um, one-on-ones will allow for critical issues and critical um, monitoring to still occur. Mm -hmm. That's not the goal of that. It will emerge naturally, but let's do it on the terms of the direct, right? Let's allow the direct to say, I am struggling with X. Here's mm -hmm. what I'm thinking around. I'd love your input. Input, Or as you know, I'm working on Y and Z. In your opinion, what would should be the highest priority item? Or I'm finding that um, I have these two tasks that are kind of in conflict with one another. And this is how I'm experiencing that. And I would love your thoughts on it. So monitoring will still happen naturally, but we definitely don't want these one-on-ones to be just one big status update. Um, you know, that is missing the tremendous potential of one-on-ones to truly see someone and hear them. So does frequency matter? Frequency definitely matters. Um, the research is really clear that a weekly or bi-weekly, um, every other week cadence is most ideal to maximizing the benefits. You, the research shows that when you have a cadence such as that, employee engagement is higher, mm. you know, alignment is higher. Also, you wind up saving time because employees generally will hold back some of the interruptions that they often have during the week because they know they've got you. They know they have this time. It also allows for momentum to build. And let's not forget, one-on-ones in many regards are, is where leadership happens, right? Mm -hmm. This is that time that you have that leader to really be present for you. So when it's too sporadic, it just feels like an event, right? When we think about why performance appraisal systems often don't work, it's because they just feel like this event. There's not a sense of process or momentum. And so one-on-ones are just that mechanism for keeping this flow, this support ongoing. And interestingly, when I survey people around their preferences for how often they would want one-on-ones, it is every week. They want them every week. And interestingly, the people who wanted them more were actually the more senior managers. So counter to stereotypes that this you know, the younger generation is give me, give me, give me feedback. We actually found more senior managers wanted a greater cadence because they recognize how critical these activities are. That's so interesting. So my mind is going ping, 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 ping. Okay. So you mentioned, um, you know, creating a, a safe space for people to say, you know, I'm struggling. I'm thinking about somebody who is maybe new to their leader. How does the leader create that space and that safety for the person to answer that question honestly and really feel safe admitting that they're struggling if they are? Oh, great. Um, basically, by making a values-based argument, right? I want to be the best possible leader I can be for you. And to that end, I want to have this time, this predictable time that you have my full attention. It does not mean that you don't have my attention at other times, but this is the predictable time. This is the bare minimum commitment that I want to bring to you. And so by framing it as a values-based, then I think there's a little bit more sincerity that comes through. 
But really what it's going to come down to is how you act during the meeting, what you say, right? If you're asking lots of why, help me understand, how can I help type questions, and you follow through, then you're building the psychological safety that's so critical. But if you engage in behaviors that are just about micromanaging, then people won't experience it that way. And these one-on-ones will have that counter effect and won't be this positive force. So set them up, act consistently with those values. And finally, do what you say you will do. So at the end of that meeting, and you say, okay, so here's what we talked about. Here are the key takeaways. Here are the actions that you need for me. And here are the things that you're going to do. Are we all on the same page? And you actually do it. Then you've cemented the value of these and you've promoted that psychological safety. Those are fantastic tips. Thank you. I do want to take a step back, though, because you talked about, you know, the research that you've done on one on one. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and what you found, especially the other things that surprised you, in addition to what you've already told us? I mean, there's a whole book full. (laughs) That was the beauty of this. Like, you know, my first book, The Surprising Science of Meetings, I went into a crowded space. And what was different, though, was I brought science to that crowded space. But it was still a crowded space. There's lots of people who talk about meetings. This space is empty. Mm -hmm. There is just not meaningful scientific content around one-on-ones. And um, so that's what's so, I think, exciting about, you know, this this book and this focal area. Um, And so really for multiple years, I have been, you know, doing surveys, interviews, diary research, you know, just around this topic, trying to understand the pinch points, trying to understand whether they're reaching their potential, trying to understand the biggest derailers but also interviewing chief HR officers and talent leaders to see what their organizations are doing around this topic, if anything. The learnings have been incredible, uh, enough to fill a book. But, (laughs) um, and so there's so many. I think some of the great um, learnings or surprises are really around blind spots. Mm. So, you know, one blind spot is that leaders' evaluations of how they do these things they're not aligned with the direct reports experience. They think they're really good at it. (laughs) (laughs) And directs are not relaying that same sentiment. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting. Um, Another thing I think that's interesting is that one of the greatest predictors of one-on-one meeting effectiveness is the direct talking more than the manager. Interesting. More than the direct ratings are just not as good. Um, Another, um, I think, neat surprise is where these meetings should happen. Um, One-on-one directs do not want one-on-ones in their office. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, I think another neat finding is how we need to think hard about the questions we ask, but also about the response approach we ask. And let me unpack this this one. So... How are you? Standard question. It doesn't work. When you ask someone, how are you? They give you an automatic response. Fine. Mm -hmm. Good. Great. 
that doesn't tell you anything. It's an automatic response. But if you ask that same question and say, you know what, how are you? But answer on a 10 point scale with one being really bad to 10 being fantastic. Where are you considering everything? Now you've inspired thought. Now you'll get responses of a six or a seven. And now you have something to work with to really understand where folks are at. So those are some of them, but then there's some other interesting blind spots. I'm really moved by the blind spots that exist at the organizational level too. So I've only found one organization that provides any training to their managers around, uh, yeah, one, on how to do one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings. I mean, that's bonkers, right? Especially given that our data shows that only around 50% of these one-on-ones are rated as optimal. So that means 50% are rated as suboptimal. So clearly there's this opportunity. And I have not found any organizations that do any kind of meaningful monitoring of this activity. So I'm really moved. Um, there's this company like, for example, called Kairos that's created this system where people can provide anonymous feedback about their one-on-ones. And then the leader gets a dashboard to see how they're doing. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. We need to provide a light, right? We need to provide people with data and information so that they can make positive changes. And by doing so, we can reach the potential of these activities. Yeah, I've always found that fascinating as well, right? So I think about the one-on-one -on -one between a leader and their direct report as the foundation of how the direct report experiences the organization. And yet we invest all of this, you know, all of this money in elaborate leadership training on everything else except how to do a good one-on-one. -on -one. Oh my gosh, that is such a great comment. And it's incredible to me. If you think about the money organizations spend on meetings and one-on-ones, right? Time by wages, not even counting opportunity costs. It's massive. It blows the investment in IT out of the water. Yeah. We are spending way more money on meetings and one-on-ones. And yet there's no one who owns it. And, you know, so IT, we recognize we need an owner to make sure that we're maximizing our return on this investment. But when mm -hmm. it comes to collaboration technologies, we don't. And this is a fan, I mean, this is why I'm so, one of the many reasons I was really excited to talk to you, because this is an incredible opportunity for HR. HR and talent leaders have the opportunity to raise their hands and say, we got this. We can do, we can be the engine that makes these critical collaboration opportunities truly shine for us. We got it. And we're going to provide the foundation. We're going to provide the feedback. We're going to provide the learnings. We're going to level up skills. We're going to address these blind spots. We got this. And the beautiful thing for these HR and talent leaders in this space is that because things are just so bad, their ability to show value is just so high. And that's exciting. That is exciting. So here at WorkHuman, we believe that you know, technology can be an enabler for collaboration, particularly in today's environment. And I don't know if you know, but we actually do have a one-on-one -on -one product that we call Conversations. And so right there on the side, as you're having your one-on-one, -on -one, 
there's guidance around the things that you should be talking about based on the type of one-on-one you're going for. Love it. So, you know, today's environment, it, working environment is different than it was about three to five years ago, pre-pandemic. So how does this idea of good one-on-ones translate, you know, in a remote working environment, hybrid, do people need to be on camera? What about walking meetings? What's your perspective on that? It's a great question. And the importance of one-on-ones is at an all-time high. People have such a need to feel seen. And one-on-ones are that mechanism. As we work remote, we crave still being seen. Um, And, you know, people didn't miss meetings at work. They just missed the ability to connect with others and have that time with their manager that's perhaps unstructured even. And so as workforces have become more distributed and more remote, just one-on-ones are that way of bringing folks in. So their importance is at an all-time high. We have not found a big difference between virtual versus face-to-face. Both are welcomed. Um, It always just keeps coming down to the quality of the interaction. You can have a very high quality interaction virtually. The technology does not fix things and it does not make things better per se. It can do those things, but fundamentally, it's the manager, right? It's the questions the manager asks and how actively they listen and the types of support they provide. We can conduct these virtually. We can conduct them walking, even just being on the phone. If it is virtual, you definitely want to see the person. Um, what we found when we asked people about where these meetings should occur, they generally preferred the manager's office or a conference room. Um, Interest in walking and things like that tended to be bimodal. Some people loved the idea, but others didn't. This is not a problem because fundamentally, as I mentioned earlier, these meetings are for the direct. So this is a great signal when you ask the direct, hey, how do you want to have this meeting? Here's some choices. What's your preference? That is another signal. So the space, um, there's lots of different options. We can find the one that fits their needs. You know, but it's always going to come back to the fundamentals, the fundamentals of having a regular cadence, the fundamentals of actively facilitating, the fundamentals of allowing the direct to derive, to drive the topics of interest and the conversation. So I've thought about this topic a lot, uh, but that's something that I've never thought about, meaning I've never thought to ask a direct report how they want to have a one-on-one. You know, I've often grabbed the direct report and said, you know, back in the, you know, work in person days and said, hey, let's let's do a walk. Right. But I've never asked them, how do you prefer to do this? I think I think that that is a very, very great tip. And it's it's a tiny thing, but it's one of those big signals. And I love the use of the word like signals. Right. Because there's things that we do all the time. But we're also sending signals all the time about what really matters to us. And so anytime we can send signals of, you know, caring, concern, support, like that sticks with the person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we think about the adage that people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses. 
Mm-hmm. Well, one-on-ones are that mechanism to show you're a good boss, yeah. right? You care about the entire person. You know, when we think about work human and how you started this conversation, right? Work human is about the whole person. Yeah. And one-on-ones are about the whole person. What about agendas? Do we need those in advance? Do those not matter? Is there something to be yeah. said for um, the direct report, giving the leader a heads up on what they want to talk about? Um, another good question. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, this was something that was surprising that um, a lot of managers think they don't need an agenda for these types of meetings. But we found a pretty clear association that when a manager does have agendas, that those one-on-ones were evaluated more effectively. However, it's not like this heavy agenda. It's just a plan. It's a plan of action. And it's really another signal that you thought about this meeting and where it's going. But what mattered even more than just that agenda was the direct report's involvement in the creation of the agenda. So we want to make sure their voice is informing. Now, in terms of actually the specifics, the two most common ways is the listing approach. In the listing approach, you basically tell the direct, come to this one-on-one with a list of things that you want to talk about. But when in creating your list, think big, small, long term, and short term. Don't just privilege immediate fires, right? Think bigger. Even periodically say, bring something on your list having to do with your career, right? So help prime them on the range of topics that can be discussed. So they come with a list. You can have a list, but you want to tell them what's the key issues on your list, but your list is second. Their list comes first. Now, if something emerges where your list makes sense, sure, bring it up. But the fact is we want their list to dominate and you make that clear, sending that signal. Another approach is to have a set of core questions that you ask, you know, what are your biggest challenges right now and how can I support you? This allows the direct to still fully construct the conversation. You're providing the parameters, but they have lots of latitude. So you can kind of come up with these core questions. They can provide input into these core questions and you can execute that way. With that all said, in both cases, What's generally found is that people do tend to get locked down into these fires and the day-to-day. So we either want to allocate time at every single one-on-one to say, okay, let's now focus broader, longer term, or dedicate one out of every four of your one-on-ones to that longer term, broader um, picture. So this just allows the one-on-one to stay dynamic and interesting and responsive. And one of the things I do in in the book is I just outline a variety of topics to consider, a menu. You could never do everything on this menu in one meeting, but what a manager wants to do is just make sure they've sampled across that menu, right? To have a well-rounded diet over time. And so I like that thought of, you know, having this broader choice. Um, But I also want to say that it takes two to tango. A one-on-one is not just the manager's um, responsibility. The direct has a role too. So do you want to talk a little bit about the direct's role? Yes, go right ahead. So there's... Um, I spent some time in the book kind of outlining the key things that directs can do 
to make these one-on-ones really pop. And obviously we don't have time to go into it, all into it, but let me share a couple things. So first of all, a direct actually needs to know what they want to get out of this. They just can't go in as a blank slate. Mm-hmm. They have to actually think before the one-on-one, what are their hopes? What are their meaningful challenges? And that actually takes a little thought, right? But you can't get what you want unless you know what you want. So giving that some thought actually really matters. A second thing is that the research is really clear that when you ask for help, that you want to do it in a way that makes you autonomous, not dependent. So asking people for information, for counsel, for their thoughts, to share your potential solutions to it, this is all about enabling you to fully own the help and to enact it. You're not looking for someone else just to solve your problems. Mm -hmm. And the research shows that people who engage in more dependent help seeking, they actually have lower performance. But those people who engage in more autonomous help seeking, they have better performance. So another key thing for the direct is just to make sure that they're thinking about the problems, they're thinking about potential solutions, and that they looking are looking at the manager as just a source of information to help them on their path to solving it. But they're not looking for that manager just to fix everything and make it go away. So on the leader side, I like the approach of the broad questions, and that's one I use a lot because... I like to know, okay, you know, what has been your favorite thing that has happened since you've last talked to me? And that's so I can provide more of those things if I can. And that's really intentional. And then what are your barriers and challenges? What's what's the worst thing, you know, that happened to you? What are what is the thing that you're struggling with the most? And then on the direct report side, what I've started to do in terms of an agenda, this is going to sound really silly, but I do it as a present and I start out with a little dear diary section that's in italics just to talk about like where I am emotionally, right? Like, how am I doing? Is there anything going on in in my personal life? Am I fine? Am I not fine? And then the rest of it is, you know, things I want you to know that I'm doing and then maybe things I'm struggling that I need advice about. So love, 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 love. That's great. (laughs) Yes. So the next time I do one of those, I will say, Steve said, this is good. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And, you know, the only thing I would say is don't necessarily do it every one-on-one, right? Mm -hmm. To keep it fresh, try rotating some other questions in and see how they work. Um, So It's often the case that we find some questions we like and we just figure, we'll just keep doing them. But that can get us into some ruts. And so experiment try something else. In fact, ask your directs, hey, what are some ideas of core questions that you want me to to play with? I love that. Oh, good. And so, you know, all these things, again, are those signals that communicate that you care, that you want to keep it dynamic and interesting, and that you want them to have a big voice in making sure that this is truly working. Lovely. Okay. So before I wrap us up here, I have a couple more questions for you. One that I've been thinking about is, you know, I know Steve, the person is a big traveler, right? So is there any difference in how you approach this or how this should be approached 
in cultures where people are more deferential to authority, as an example, like any cross-cultural things that we need to keep in mind? We have not, I have not found anything in the research that really speaks to meaningful cultural differences around this. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. That kind of research is really hard and takes a lot of time. And as I mentioned before, this is a very new area of, of inquiry. And um, so, but I, I haven't seen anything really meaningful that the big boulders, such as being a good listener, asking good questions, they seem to matter the most, no matter where you are. Where I would um, speculate that, um, and I think you actually on the same train is, there are certain cultures where the power distance is high and psychological safety may be more difficult to achieve. And in those cultures, the leader just has to work extra hard. So basically, they just have to work a little bit harder to share that this is a meeting for them, for the direct, that um, they want them to share. And even perhaps they have to demonstrate some of the behaviors that they want to see in the direct. For example, maybe they need to be a little vulnerable. Maybe they need to share a problem that they're having. Again, this is not something that, you know, personal, hey, I'm having problems with my wife and she hates me. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about that when you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable, it can it sets the stage for someone else being vulnerable. And so depending on the culture, but really it comes down to depending on your relationship. Yeah. And, um, you know, you might just have to adjust some of your behaviors to help bring that direct truly in to the picture. And then don't hesitate to ask people anonymously, because sometimes you get right better information about how to make these things truly work. And you might be able to get some good feedback then. And then I would also say that, you know, the, the best leaders are willing to do little experiments. And, um, you know, where they basically say, okay, you know, let's try this for a couple months. And then we'll see how it works. And if it's not working, we'll try something else. And so I think as long as you have, you know, candid conversations, as long as you're willing, demonstrating, caring, following through, the cultural differences matter much, much less. Perfect. This has, had, has been such a great conversation and fantastic advice. I just want to say thank you for all of that. I'm sure that our listeners want to know more. So can you tell them about the name of your latest book, how they can find it, how they can find you? Please. Oh, thank you. So basically, uh, my new book is called Glad We Met, The Art and Science of One-on-One -on -one Meetings. The alternative title, which I didn't use, is The One Meeting That Should Never Be an Email. <laughs> um, so the Glad We Met, The Art and Science of One-on-One -on -one Meetings, and then go to my webpage, uh, Stephen Rogelberg com stevenrogelberg.com. I have tons of resources. Um, I have links to buy the book and I hope that you will as an added incentive because it makes it easier for me to tell people to buy the book. Okay. All the money I make from it goes all to the American Cancer Society. And so I just want people to get the content and I hate asking people to, to buy something. So it makes it much easier. Just it's all going to charity. So buy the book if you want to learn about one-on-ones or buy the book if you want to help support American Cancer Society. 
that is the most amazing way to close out this podcast. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure and a delight. Well, you are a pleasure and a delight. And thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to How We Work. For more episodes, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. For more on WorkHuman, visit WorkHuman.com and follow us on social at WorkHuman. Thank you so much to Mike Lovett for producing and Breakmaster Cylinder for the original music. Talk to you next time.